So tonight we're going to read a short passage from the Apostle Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. Paul absolutely loved this church, and he starts this letter by telling this church that they are to live as Christ would, and that they are called to live in a manner worthy of the gospel. And to do this, they are to look to the example of Jesus and live like him. And one of the ways in which we can do that is through living a life of humility. It says this in Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Let us pray. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for this evening we get to gather together tonight, God, and just for showing up every week here in Lang Hall. We love you so much, Jesus. In your name, amen. Amen and amen. Some of you might know that back when I was a student in Chi Alpha, which I was a student in Chi Alpha, I wasn't always up here, when I used to be a student, I was actually our worship leader, meaning I did what Trey does now, not nearly as good as he does it, nor can I play the piano, but I tried my best to do it back then. And something that we got to do back when I was a student is we would get to lead worship at these summer youth camps for high school students all across the state of Iowa with the churches that we partner with. And when I was actually a student in high school, going back even farther, I went to this same exact youth camp. And I had a dream that I just wanted to lead worship for that camp. So when I got a call from the leader of our state saying, Derek, will you bring Chi Alpha and lead worship for this camp? I was pumped. It was legit my childhood dream coming true. My real dream was to be a rock star, but this was like the closest I was going to get. So I was like, you know what? Leading worship for smelly 14-year-olds, I am living the dream right now, baby. Come on. I have arrived and I am awesome. So we spent a ton of time preparing for this week. Me and Pastor Victor, who plays guitar back there, has been playing guitar a long time. We got pretty crazy for this. We did way too much time preparing. I even went out and bought like a whole new wardrobe. I made our whole worship team wear plain white t-shirts because it was edgy. And I thought it was like really cool. And we'd be unified as one front against a man. So we were all wearing plain white tees. I was looking back at pictures. We just looked idiots. But anyways, so shortly before we were going to go and lead worship at this camp, I was actually giving a lesson to teach someone how to play the bass. It was actually for a student who's in Chi Alpha. He's on a mission trip right now. His name is Jacob Bartholow. And I was teaching him how to play the bass, talking about this camp. And he gave me this idea, because he was a student who went to this camp. And he said, Derek, you guys should do this song called This Is Living. And there's a version of it that has a rap part in it. And he's like, and you know what? I think you should be the one to do this rap. <laughs> and for some reason, in that moment, all reasoning went out the window. For some reason, this 14-year-old was the most convincing person I'd ever met. I was like, you know what? You're right. I should rap for this camp. That will bring glory to King Jesus. I was in. I was going to do it. So I prepared. I learned the rap. And we get to camp, and we start with like night one, first worship set. We get ready to do this song. In the middle of it, it was my time. I was like, maybe I don't really know what living is. Is it love? If it was, do I live in it? Do I live in it? So astounding. Love is an ocean. You can drown me. The sweet embrace, the lovely taste. I taste and see. I'm under grace, the place to be. And I just started rapping in the middle of a worship service. I really thought about keeping the band up there to do that, but I realized that'd be too extra, so I wasn't going to do that. But anyway, so I go and do this rap, and the teenagers are looking at me like I'm awesome. And I'm like, you're dang right, I'm awesome. They're like, they're like down here like, Jesus, I mean, Derek, I mean, I don't know. I'm just feeling great, you know? So after the service, I'm feeling like a million bucks. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm like, Jesus showed up. I'm awesome. This is awesome. And I have arrived. And then we got to go to this thing called the green room, which is where they put the real rock stars. So I go to this green room, and the leader of the camp, who happened to be my youth pastor growing up, he comes up to me, and he says, he's like, what's up, Decray? Based off of the rapper who really rapped this song called Lecrae, and in that moment, I knew I had messed up. 
when he called me to pray, I thought to myself, hmm, why had I just done that? Why did I rap in a worship service for 14-year-olds? What was my motivation? I thought to myself, was that for the glory of God or is that for me? And the answer is for me. But anyways, in that moment, this question that we often ask ourselves was in my head. This question of desiring to know why do we do the things we do? Our motivations matter to us. Deep down, we want to understand ourselves. We want to know our motivations. I think often we do certain things and then we look back like a day later and we're like, why in the world did I do that? We'll make a fool of ourselves. Or maybe this is just me. Maybe you guys like make perfect decisions. But sometimes I make a fool of myself and I don't know why I did it. Or maybe you say something that's not the nicest or like the most people smart. It's really awkward and like right after it's coming out your mouth, like why am I saying this? What am I doing this for? Or maybe you fall back into a sin issue that you feel like you've been getting over and you've been desperately trying not to have this sin have a hold on your life, but you just can't say no. And you're like, why do I keep doing this? Why do I do the things I do? This is such an important question that we all long to answer. However, if we're objectively honest, we recognize that this question of why is a really hard question to answer. It takes a lot of digging. We have to process, maybe through some hard things. And usually we kind of settle for not knowing the answer to that question because it's too much work. But as we look to our futures, though, this question has to be answered. Specifically, as we look to our future in the marketplace, this question actually needs to be the first one that we answer. See, often we settle for what questions, like we just want to know what we're going to do, what job will I have, what person will I marry, what city will I live in, what salary will I have. We think as long as I get those what questions answered in a satisfying way, we'll be fine, right? But as we explore life in the marketplace, we will soon find out that those what questions aren't actually that significant. Why we do what we do is far more important than what we're actually doing. No matter what your future is, no matter what job you have, where you live, who you marry, no matter what you do, it can all be honoring to God if you do it with the right motivation. Motivation is simply why do you do the things you do and who do you do them for? Why do you do the things you do and who do you do them for? When we are making decisions, we need to ask ourselves these questions to get to the root of our hearts. And if you can answer these questions with, I do everything to glorify God, You'll do well in the marketplace no matter what you're doing. And in our passage tonight, Paul shows us how to do this. He shows us how we can glorify God in everything we do. It says in Philippians 2.3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. If we're honest with ourselves, a lot of times our motivation in life has to do with how will this affect me? How will this help me look better? How will this help me advance, be more liked, have a better resume? Why do we do this? Why do we live for selfish ambition? It actually boils down to this word conceit. See, this word conceit, give the New Testament, which is what Paul was writing here, it was written actually in the Greek language. And so this word conceit can be directly translated from the original Greek to mean empty glory. A better translation than conceit is empty glory. So we take this idea of empty glory and then we want to tag it with Romans 3.23, another letter that Paul wrote to a different church and it says this, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That was good. That kind of worked. Not really. I don't really do the give and take thing, but I'm trying to grow. I'm going to get a cup and spit in it. It's going to be awesome. Anyways, everyone's giving me weird looks. Sorry. What he's getting at here, 
When Paul says this in Romans 3.23, he says we are all made in the image of God. It comes from this theological or like God-thinking term, imago Dei. We are created in the imago Dei or the image of God, meaning we are made to represent the glory of God. We are created with a destiny of glory, but because of sin, we 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 fall short of this glory. There is a deficit between our destiny and our reality. Because of sin and brokenness, there's something missing inside of us, and we can feel this. We know we have this God-designed destiny, and for some reason, we just can't make that destiny our reality, and we feel this glory gap. In this glory gap, there's something missing inside of us. It drives us to do things. We try to fill this deficit. We try to fill this deficit through exalting self, through finding worth in other people, We pursue selfish ambition. This leads us to try to be someone we're not because we feel this gap inside of us. Deep down, we all have this common fear. We fear not mattering. We fear of being irrelevant, of making no difference, of no one remembering us after we die. This is especially true of Gen Z. It's why I love Gen Z. See, Gen Z doesn't seem to be scared of people having different opinions. They'll happily argue, usually. They don't care if there's some conflict or if things get a little awkward. Like, life was awkward. I lived behind a computer screen for two years. It'll all be fine. Now, what drives this generation is this inner desire to matter. It actually goes back to, like, this TikTok culture we live in. See, the reason that we spend so much time crafting our internet persona is because we feel like if we have followers, then we'll matter. The key to mattering in our current cultural landscape is through likes on social media. And this leads to selfish ambition as we try to find significance to the glory of this world. But ambition by itself, it's not a bad thing. Most sin in our world today does not actually come from this ambition. Most sin comes from passivity. See, the remedy for our problem of selfish ambition is not apathy. I think often we have such a disdain for arrogance that we think extremely lowly of ourselves to try to avoid being prideful. And this drives us to apathy because we don't think we have any worth anyways. And so if we have no worth, what's the point in trying? So our solution is to spend all day scrolling TikTok on our couch. We think I don't matter, so the solution will be apathy, laziness, and doing nothing. But that is not a more godly approach. See, I'm not saying ambition is wrong. Ambition, wanting to accomplish great things, is not bad. If you want to accomplish great things for the glory of God, that is a holy ambition. Accomplishing nothing is not better than accomplishing things for personal glory. They're both sinful. Ambition is not the problem. Selfish ambition is. Ambition is the desire to accomplish great things or to do the right thing. Selfish ambition is the desire to accomplish great things or do the right thing and get attention for it. It goes back to why do I do the things I do and who do I do them for? Is it for God or is it for me? Selfish ambition looks like doing things for the right people to notice. So maybe you have this deep desire to be on the worship team. But usually if you're honest during worship, during music, you just kind of stand there during worship. You're not like much of a feeler. So usually just like this. But during Worthy of It All, as Trey's singing at you, you make eye contact with him. And as soon as you look at him, you're like, I am worthy of it all. Yes, Jesus. And we start worshiping because we have this desire to be on the worship team. We want the right person to notice. So then I will start worshiping. That's empty glory. That's not the glory of God. That's doing things to be noticed by the right people, which is selfish ambition. We should do things not for the people around us to think we're great, but for God to think we're great. 
because worldly glory is empty glory. So I think what drives selfish ambition is not actually this arrogance. I don't think it's something evil inside of us, but rather I think it goes back to this need to matter that we talked about. Because we think our value is in our performance or our accomplishments. We think we will be loved when we accomplish something, so we put all of our energy into becoming somebody worth loving. See, maybe your parents showered you with praise when you got good grades, and maybe they withheld you love when you didn't measure up or when you made a mistake. Or maybe no one believed in you, so you have this deep desire to prove everyone wrong. You have this drive to prove your worth and to receive love. See, our selfish ambition is not driven from ego, but I think rather self-preservation. The why we do things we do is not necessarily because we want to be egotistical. No one wakes up and says, I want to be prideful today. That does not happen. But we do wake up and want to be loved. And I think we think this pathway to love goes to the road of self-exaltation because if people don't see me or know me or know what I've accomplished, then how could they love me? We think that no one can love us for who we actually are, so we feel this need to put on a performance and become somebody we're not and try to exalt our own performance. They'll never love me for who I am, so I better become someone better. It drives our actions. And sometimes... It drives us to do some really weird things because we want to try to find worth or feel significant. This is why, and this is no shade, this is not like a personal attack, but this is why we'll post on social media about all of our accomplishments, right? When anything goes, like we'll post online, like, I made the dean's list, I'm awesome, or I got a new boyfriend or girlfriend and they're way more attractive than me, so I need everyone to know that was me. I'm like, Taylor, we're posting on Facebook tonight because I need the world to know that I won the game of life with you. Amen and amen. We want people not to think we're awesome. That's not really why we do these things or boast of ourselves. We just want to be loved by people. But that's empty glory. We'll do weird things to be loved by the world. The world tells us that physical beauty is the key to being loved. And this sentiment drove Kim Kardashian to say something really weird. She said, if you told me that I literally had to eat poop every single day and I would look younger, I might. I just might. I believe it. I think she might. We'll do whatever it takes to feel some sort of value into this culture. She's like the queen of culture. That lady runs the world. I still don't know what their talents are, but they keep making money and everyone liking them, so clearly they know how to do this thing. Her inner drive is to find love through being young and beautiful and people giving her attention in that way. We'll do whatever it takes to get some sort of value from the world to feel like we're finally good enough, to feel like we're finally good. But we're not called to live for this personal, empty glory. We're not called to live for our own prestige. We're not called to live to fulfill our own dreams. I know growing up, we're like, dream big and then do whatever you can to accomplish your own dreams. But that's simply not the reality of what we are designed to do as followers of Jesus. We are not designed to live for the glory of self and the glory of our own personal ambitions. We are designed to live for the glory of God and to advance his kingdom, not our little kingdom that our parents said we run. And this is countercultural, right? The world tells us we need to look out for ourselves, that we can just grit our teeth and bear it and work our way into accomplishing the American dreams, and then we'll become somebody. This whole influencer culture is out of this idea of selfish ambition and being known, of accomplishing our own dreams. But too often we sacrifice the things of God at the altar of our own ambition, our own dreams. For example... Maybe you choose a career path or a major because you feel God is, not because God, you feel God is telling you to, but because it's what your parents want. And you know they'll be proud of you if you have that prestigious job. 
Or you want people to think highly of you, so you go down this path so people will think you're intelligent. Maybe you struggled in school growing up, and so now you've had this inner drive to prove the world wrong, that you are smart enough to accomplish this and to look good to people around you. Maybe you'll go down some certain path just because you want the people around you to think you're great. But doing anything for the glory of self is not a worthy endeavor. Paul is telling us don't do anything for personal glory because that is an empty glory. So what's the cure for this? Well, Paul tells us, thank you, Paul. Philippians 2, 3, the second half of the verse says this, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. So instead of trying to fill this glory gap in our hearts with personal glory, we are to fill it through living a life for other people. This term humility in Paul's time was actually a very negative term. This word directly translates to like lowly or literally like of the earth. It comes from this idea of humiliation. So people in Paul's time, just like our own, they live to kind of glorify self. And this idea of purposely wanting to humiliate yourself to exalt other people, that was foreign. In current Christian culture, if you've been in the church a little bit, you probably know, like, yeah, I should be humble. That makes sense. That's an easy thing to hear. But the church in Philippi that Paul was writing to would not have thought that. Would like, humble myself? Become like the earth? Why in the world would I want to lower myself for other people? That doesn't make sense. In this same sentiment, even though it seems distasteful, it actually still reigns true in our world. We just don't want to say it. We live in a world of really learning to just like love yourself. We need me time. We need to focus on self-help, take care of self. It's kind of a me-centered culture, like about making sure I'm doing good. So our popular idea of humility, of like humiliating self, runs counter to the world we live in. So it's seen as negative. But the problem with this is actually we have an incorrect view of what humility is. We think of humility as someone who is like down, views himself lowly and like hates themselves, or like won't look anyone in the eye, kind of like down here. We think that's humble, but that's not humility. C.S. Lewis tells us that humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. So true humility is not thinking that you stink or that you're the worst person to ever live. True humility is also not thinking that I'm awesome and I'm the best person to live. No, humility is just having a sober sense of reality. Humility is when we're honest with ourselves about our strengths and our weaknesses. When we have a sober sense of who we are and who God created us to be. So we don't think we're like a worthless sack of potatoes on the side of road, but we also don't think we're LeBron James. We've got to find a happy medium in there. So how do we do this? How do we actually have a sober sense of reality, not think too lowly or too highly of ourselves? We do this through finding security in who God made us to be. Humility is not being insecure, but rather it's having complete security. Humility can only come when we find our identity in God alone. When we recognize that our value does not come from what we do, but our value comes from whose we are as a son or daughter of King Jesus. When we are secure, we will feel no need to prove ourselves or to live a life for selfish ambition because ambition is just rooted in this need to fill the glory gap in our hearts with worldly glory, but as we are secure in who God created us to be, we will be infused with the glory of God. So as we are secure in our identity as a son or daughter of Jesus, we will move from selfish ambition and conceit to living a life of counting others more significant than yourself. We'll start to care about other people's interests more than our own. And this will flesh itself out by living a life that is not self-absorbed, but rather it is others-focused. So we need to move from self-absorption to being others or outward-focused. So ask yourself, do you spend most of your time thinking about you, your life, or other people. Let me be honest. 
I'm a pastor, but I'm sinful. I spend most of my time thinking about me, thinking about my problems, what I want to accomplish that day, my future, my goals, my dreams. Ask yourself this question. What do you worry about? What keeps you up at night? Are you constantly worried about the fact that there are millions of people who are going to die and go to hell tonight? Or that there's people who are starving from hunger? Or are you worried about getting in the right classes? Or passing that test? Or getting that girl or boy to notice you? What keeps you up at night? What do you worry about? What we worry about tells a lot about where our heart's at. I know for me, I'm just constantly worried about this idea of having twins. So like, that's really where all my worries go to. I'm like, how am I going to pay for everything? And then I just cry and go to bed. It's awesome. <laughs> I'm just kidding. We don't cry. I watch Shark Tank and go to bed. But anyways, what we think about, what we worry about, what is in our brain shapes us. Our thought life greatly affects our inner being. So if we're constantly absorbed with thoughts about ourselves, then we will live a life absorbed with self. We will live to glorify and protect self instead of living for other people. So we need to move our thought life from being inward focused to being outward focused. That is the start. And Jesus was the model of this. See, Jesus wasn't always worried about himself. Jesus wasn't focused, what does that person think of me? Did I just embarrass myself? Did I put myself out there too much? Are they going to think I'm weird for inviting them to come to know Jesus? Jesus wasn't worried about that. Jesus also wasn't worried about his performance. He wasn't worried like, am I loved? Did I accomplish enough today? Did I check off enough things? Did I pass that test? No, Jesus wasn't worried about his performance or what other people thought of him. Jesus was constantly focused on one idea. How can I love the people around me? That's what drove him. What drove him was not getting glory and people liking him. What drove him was getting the people around him to feel loved. He was void of self and full of others. Often we like to focus on our strengths, weaknesses, our futures, our classes, me, 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 and that's not the way of humility or the way of Jesus. We are called to live not for our own personal agenda and goals, but rather to live a life that is about the community. What's best for the people around me? What does my community need? What does my small group need today? Not what do I need from my small group, but what can I give to my small group? This doesn't look like putting yourself down and constantly degrading yourself and like neglecting yourself. No, that's not, we don't make ourselves like the pity. No, the way we flesh this out is instead of focusing on self at all, we just raise other people up. So it's not like we put ourselves down. We just raise up other people. We encourage other people. We don't think about ourselves at all. So this looks like when you're having a conversation with someone, you actually like listen and engage them instead of just focusing on what you're going to say next. It looks like not making decisions based solely on what's best for you, what's best for everyone. This looks like not always having to be the loudest person in the room, but being willing to hear other people out and to go with other people's ideas. It looks like not always getting your way. It looks like being willing to be uncomfortable Uncomfortable enough to love people around you, to introduce them to Jesus, to get outside of your comfort zone and not just live what's easy. It also looks like having so much grace for other people. Often we're so self-absorbed that when we do something wrong, it's quick to, we're quick to justify ourselves, right? So for example, when you guys cut people off in traffic, I never do that. I'm perfect in the roundabouts. Just a joke, I cut people off all the time. But when you cut someone off in traffic and they honk at you, it's very easy for us to be like, how dare they? If they knew what I went through today, I woke up five minutes late, I burnt my toast, I hate my, my toast is burnt, and I've had a rough morning, they don't know that I've got a test, we go on, we think, they know, they know I didn't mean to, I, didn't, I don't have a bad heart, I just screwed up. But when someone else cuts us off in trap, we're like, eh, right on that horn, giving them the middle finger because no one's around us to judge us, and we just go with it, we're angry at them, we cuss them out. We give ourselves so much grace 
because we know our circumstances, but often we fail to give grace to other people because we're so absorbed with ourselves and not focused on what could that person have gone through today. Maybe they've had a rough morning. I don't need to honk at them and yell at them. It's a constant battle Taylor and I have. Taylor believes in the art of honking. She's like, it gets their attention if they won't hit you. And I think it's just rude, but it's fine. So what if we lived a life that we weren't so focused on ourselves, but instead we lived a life of empathy? If we are gracious and merciful because we recognize that I am so broken, I am so messed up, how dare I judge anyone else? I want you to go through this thought exercise with me. I want you to imagine that on this screen right here, we put all of your secret sins. Everything you've ever struggled with, every sin issue went up there on the screen for all to read. And we're all like, hmm, let's go through their sins. Yes? Ooh, that one's rough. If we did that, I like to think, at least if that happened to me, I'd be driven to a little bit more humility. I'd probably not be quite as quick to judge other people. Do you think that would inspire some grace in your heart if people saw all the junk inside of you? So how does this relate to the marketplace? It goes back to this glory gap inside of us. Again, we've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. See, many of us think that the way to fill this glory gap in our hearts is through achievement, wealth, a good resume, etc. So we spend our lives with this motivation to advance ourselves or to do what's best for us. However, the best way to live life as a Jesus follower, specifically in the marketplace, is to be motivated not by self, but motivated by exalting other people. This looks like not always needing to take credit for every good thing, not feeling the need to boast of your accomplishments or advanced self. Rather, we will let God advance us, because if I need to be exalted, God can exalt me. This looks like that when you're in the marketplace, you're willing to do the dirty work and take the posture of being a servant. True leadership is not being served, but serving other people. You will not fill the glory gap in your heart through feeling important, but rather through serving people around you. Two of Jesus' disciples, his two best friends, are named James and John. And they asked Jesus, Jesus, can we rule beside you? They want to be great leaders. They want to be perceived as significant. And the cool thing about this is Jesus never gets mad at them for this. He doesn't say, no, you can't be great. Rather, what he does is he corrects their understanding of what greatness actually looks like. It says this, and Jesus called them to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Greatness in the kingdom of God is through being a servant. So as some of you guys know, we just got back from a mission trip to Turkey. And while we were there, we partnered with the first church to ever be planted in all of eastern Turkey. We got to go to this church, we got to meet with the local believers, and the church has a pastor now who's actually from Turkey, and this dude legit loves Jesus. His whole family doesn't love Jesus, his own wife doesn't love Jesus, but yet he's pursuing what Jesus has for his life. He's willing to pastor this church. He's been persecuted for his faith, he's been attacked by police, but he's radically devoted to Jesus, and technically he's in charge of the first church in all of eastern Turkey, which is a pretty big deal. Well, you would never know it from being with this guy. We were there with the sole purpose. We went there to serve them. That's like what a mission trip's for. We were to serve them. But he just couldn't stop serving us. Like he kept having snacks ready. He like kept moving the chairs to make sure they're ready to go. He literally, this was actually really annoying, but he would kept bringing us cups of tea. So like I, would, I, I hate tea. So this really was sinful, I thought. But like I'd have to force myself to drink this tea. And then somehow by the time I got back down, it was full again. I don't know how he did it. It was like magic. He just kept replacing the tea. 
every 30 seconds, there was more tea in my hand. And it really, me and Jordan up my really were having a rough time trying to tug back the tea. So Shekinah drank both of ours, but it's fine. <laughs> this guy was a straight servant. He didn't look to glorify himself. He wasn't there for us to like worship the ground he walked on. And he's the pastor of the first church in all of Eastern Turkey. I just hang out with college students all day giving like stupid handshakes. I should be serving that guy. He should not be serving me. That's what glory looks like in the kingdom of God. Glory, not empty glory, but real glory, looks like serving people, loving people, and doing things not to glorify self, to glorify God. My parents grew up with zero relationship with Jesus. They both came from extremely broken homes without an ounce of Jesus in their lives. And then back in 1997, when I was just a few months old, my mom and I were on our way home from celebrating Easter with my family. And while she was driving us home, she fell asleep at the wheel because she was drinking. And the car flipped, and she was flung out the front of the car and broke her neck. Luckily, I was perfectly fine, which is a really cool story of the glory of Jesus, but we don't have time to get into that tonight. But she flung out and broke her neck. So shortly after this accident, my mom had to have surgery and wear like a big mechanical thing around her neck because it was broken, so she wasn't mobile at all. So she was not going to be able to take care of me and my four siblings. She was a stay-at-home mom. And the doctor said that we need to find someone to volunteer to take care of us each day of the week before they would release her to come home. My parents got someone to cover every single day except Wednesdays, and they could not find someone. So eventually, the receptionist at the doctor's office, who my mom argued with all the time, because my mom was always late, it's a Quimby curse, but that's besides the point. She said, I will come and watch your kids on Wednesday. That was her only day off. She said, I will give up my day off to come watch your family. Through this, she eventually told my mom about Jesus, and eventually my mom and then my whole family came to know Jesus as Lord because of this woman's obedience. Her husband was actually the pastor of a very small church in a very small town in Iowa, where legit every member of that church was like 100 years old. They all cooked really well, so that was kind of fun. But this church, it had nothing fancy about it at all. The music was not great whatsoever. There was definitely no lights or screens, none of that. The seats were really hard. That's not important. The pastor, his name was Doug, he was not like a dynamic preacher, like coming up telling funny stories. He didn't have like skinny jeans and cool glasses, none of that. He was really old and he wore long sleeve polos. I didn't know those existed, but evidently they did because I thought back in my memory, long sleeve polos. He did not give catchy, catchy sermons. Nothing in this place was about him. For Doug and his wife, Dona, nothing in their lives was really about them. They lived for something greater. They lived to please Jesus. And their hearts did not exalt self, but rather to exalt Jesus. It changed my entire world, so it kind of changed yours. Because Dona was willing to live a life not about her, but willing to sacrifice and live for other people, give up her me time, my family came to know Jesus. Without that couple, my whole family would probably never have met Jesus. And as a result of this, Kai Alpha, you and I, and Sent Church were both born. And many of you have come to know Jesus through Chi Alpha. Many of you have had your lives radically changed here. And none of that would have happened without Doug and Dona. The beauty of this is none of you will ever meet them. They aren't and certainly will not be famous. They aren't pastors even anymore. They just work in the marketplace and serve God in their local church. They don't have thousands of followers on social media. They don't have social media. 
when they die, and this is me being honest, most people probably will forget them. They probably, their names won't be in a history book. No one will remember they existed, except probably me and my family. But my life has been radically changed because of them. Their lives weren't about exalting self or making a legacy for themselves and being remembered. Their lives were not about themselves at all. They lived for something greater than themselves. My prayer is that when you leave Chi Alpha, that you remember one thing, that you are called to live a life about something greater than yourself. That you are called to live for something greater than just the American dream. The white pig offense, the three kids, the $100,000 a year salary, those are all good things that can be great things, but those are not what God has in store for you by itself. He has more for you than just accomplishing the dreams and goals of the world around you. Where's your can come up now? If we live a life that's all about glorifying self, we will continue to have this glory gap inside of us because we are designed with a destiny that is greater than just finding worth and value through worldly glory. See, the key to filling this glory gap inside of our hearts is we make our lives count, but not in the momentary applause and accolades of the world around us, but rather we need to dedicate ourselves to live for the glory of God and the people around us. So when you evaluate your future and you make decisions about your life, what questions are you asking? Are you asking, how can I best serve the kingdom of God? How can I make God's name famous? How can I love the people around me? Or are you asking, what's best for me? When you make decisions on your future, you're asking, what's going to be the most fun? What will help me in my calling? What will bring me the most glory? What will bring me the most money, adventure, happiness, go and explore the world? What will help me be fulfilled? Or are we asking, what's going to make Jesus' name famous? See, the key to filling this glory gap is instead of seeking the empty glory of selfish ambition, we are called to live a life not about us. That way, no matter what your future holds, it can be a godly future. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says this, So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. So whether you work in ministry as a full-time pastor or you work in the marketplace, do it for the glory of God. Whether you're rich or you're poor, for the glory of God. Whether you live in Iowa or across the world, for the glory of God. Whether you're single or married with seven kids, for the glory of God. Whether you're a barista or a CEO, for the glory of God. If you go on to have prestige, if you go on to have a platform, people know who you are. Are you going to use that to glorify yourself or to bring glory to King Jesus? If you go on to have a ton of money, are you going to use that to live a life of luxury or to be radically generous for the kingdom? Who is the glory, the money? Who is your future for? My prayer is that it's all for Jesus. And if you will do everything for the glory of God, not for self, your life will not be one of empty glory, Rather, it'll be a beautiful life. It boils down to living a life of humility. And humility is not something we can force. You can't force yourself to not be self-absorbed, right? You can't go from the world revolving around you to being all about other people just like, like <clears throat> grunting about it and forcing yourself to not be prideful. That's not how this works. No, humility must be cultivated. Because humility is anything but natural. Every fiber of our being tells us that the world needs to be about us. So we must commit to doing the hard work of cultivating humility. This means remind yourself often that life's not about you. Go out of your way to do something for other people that doesn't benefit you at all, such as volunteering, 
and then don't tell anyone you did it. Don't like volunteer and then post on Instagram like, I'm so hashtag humble. Don't do that. Just do the serving thing. Don't tell anyone. Do something nice for someone else without them knowing. When you're giving credit for something, give that credit away. Even if you did most of the work, say, no, they did a lot. They're great. Be quick to forgive other people when they wrong you. Don't defend yourself every time you're criticized. That just goes out of this need to prove and protect ourselves. No, if someone criticizes you, just take it and try to find the ounce that could be from Jesus. Purposely go out of your way to honor other people. I have a prayer that Chi Alpha will be the most encouraging place on campus. That we will love people. That we will constantly be trying to put other people in the spotlight. Because we know we don't need to be in the spotlight. Our lives are about exalting others. Because everyone around you, see them as Jesus does, which is awesome. Jesus loves the people around you. So don't look for other people's faults. Look for the greatness in them. Another great practice is as you seek to have godly motivations, have someone in your life who asks you hard questions. Have someone in your life who asks you why you do the things you do and who you do them for. My wife, Taylor, loves to do that. I don't love it when she does it, but it's good for me. Find someone who asks you about your motivations. I also encourage you. I strongly believe in this practice of journaling every day where you write down the things you did, write down what God's speaking to your heart. And when you're journaling or just writing these things down, write down not only what you did, but why you did it. Be brutally honest. You're not performing for anyone in your journal. It's not about looking good. So if you did something out of selfish ambition, just write it down and confess it to God and commit to being new tomorrow. Write down your motivations. Feelings follow action, so continually choose the path of humility, and you will start your heart on this journey towards being humble. The main idea tonight is we must pursue God's glory to fill our empty glory. Personal glory will never fill this empty glory inside of our hearts, only the glory that comes from God. Everyone here tonight, you are looking straight at your future. No matter if you're a freshman or if you're getting ready to graduate in just a few short weeks, your future is right in front of you. And as you look to your future, you have a very important choice to make. As you look to the marketplace or ministry, whatever you look at in your future, what you need to ask yourself is what will be your motivation? Will you do things for the glory of Jesus or for self? Why will you do the things you do and who are you going to do them for? Why do you do the things you do and who do you do them for? We must continue to find worth through God. See, we can try to find worth through our accomplishments. We can keep striving to fill this glory gap in our hearts on our own. But the reality is, as much as we strive to have worth through our human accomplishments, Romans 3.23 cannot be argued. You and I have fallen short of the glory of God. And no matter how hard we try or how much effort we put in or how much we strive and try to earn it, nothing will change the fact that we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. No amount of human accomplishment is going to fix that. The only one who can fix that is God himself. See, Jesus knew that there would be this glory gap in our hearts where we would sin and fall short. And Jesus knew that we'd constantly be pursuing empty glory. So then he intervenes. This is why Jesus came and lived the perfect life. He lived a life that was glorious and then died the most inglorious death to pay for our sin, to pay for the thing that robs us of glory from God so that he could restore us to the glory of God. See, now, if we will just accept Jesus as Lord, we will be restored to his glory and set free to spend eternity with God, never needing to strive for personal empty glory again because we trust and are secure in the God who created us and who died for us. We have a choice to make. Will we pursue the empty glory of the world or the glory 
that fulfills as in the glory of God. So if you go into the marketplace seeking to live for something greater than yourself, the marketplace will be turned upside down. If we will go into the marketplace seeking only to glorify God and not ourselves, we will be an example to the world around us, and it will be transformed. Chi Alpha, we can transform more than just the university. God, I hope we transform the university. But we don't need to stop there. We can transform the marketplace and ultimately the entire world if we will live for something greater than ourselves. And that would be a life of glory. Please stand with me. So if you're here tonight and you've really never let Jesus fill that glory gap in your heart and you've never admitted that you were broken but also accepted the payment of Jesus for your sins, we want to give you an opportunity to do that. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to count to three and I'm going to ask you to do a simple act of just raising your hand as an outward sign to God to say you're all in, to say you want to accept his payment, accept his grace, and be set free to live for God. So that's you and you want to accept Jesus as Lord, maybe for the first time or maybe come back to him. On the count of three, raise your hand. One, two, three. Let me pray for you guys. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, thank you for our new friends in your kingdom, God. Jesus, thank you for dying for us so we can live for you. We love you so much, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Second thing I want you to do is as we sing this last song, what I want you to do is I want you to spend some time in what's called contemplation or just contemplating the things of God, but really contemplating the shortcomings in your own heart. So as we sing, be thinking, where have I been trying to fill this glory gap with some empty glory? If there's something you've been striving after or you've been trying to like promote self or there's something in your heart that's kind of some empty glory, I want you to recognize what that is. So think about it and then give it to God. And if you want, we will have people in the back who would love to talk to you about that or anything else if you need prayer. They're back there willing and ready to serve you and talk to you about that. No one will judge you, so we'll have our response team in the back if that's you. But if not, just keep worshiping Jesus and think, what do I need to stop pursuing that is empty for? Let me pray for us. Jesus, we love you. Thank you so much just for your kingdom, God. Thank you for filling the glory gap that I caused, that my friends caused through our sin, Jesus. Help us to continue to pursue you and not the empty glory of the world. We love you so much. Amen.